0: Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Peter as we wrap up our five-part series in uh, the book of 1 Peter called The Foreigners, uh, Living Christian in an UnChristian World. And so we find ourselves... 1 uh, Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 4, and uh, we are going to make our way through uh, uh, pretty much all of this uh, chapter. And so um, chapter 4 of 1 Peter is where we find ourselves. Uh, again, this is part 5 of The Foreigners, and I've entitled this sermon, uh, Lasting Through Adversity. Uh, thus far, Peter has given us some helpful information about living Christian in an unchristian world. He's told us that uh, this earth is not our home as a foreigner, that we're merely passing through, and that we shouldn't be uh, terribly comfortable. Uh, He's tells us that we should, uh, uh, in addition to that, that we should live differently, that as Christians living in a foreign land, that we should be marked, uh, we should be holy, we should be distinguished, we should be different in the way uh, that we live our lives. Uh, Thirdly, he's uh, talked to us about how we are to relate to our government, a very pertinent topic given the election year, and uh, he essentially told us that we should submit to our government and follow uh, the governing leaders, is what we saw a couple weeks ago. And then last week, we were in chapter 3, and he told us about how to how to suffer well, how to how to face adversity for our faith. That is, when people attack us because of our Christianity, we should be uh, ready and prepared to give an answer, ask of the hope that we have. And so, this morning, the uh, last part of chapter uh, four, and uh, we're going to take a look at how to last through adversity. Uh, just Selfless. Uh, plug here uh, as far as where we're going to be going for the next five weeks, uh, maybe six, we're going to be doing a, a sermon series called Why Worry? Uh, I don't know if any of you uh, tend to be warriors or not, uh, but I confess it's something that I struggle with. And so this sermon series will be uh, for me, if not for any of you, uh, but hopefully uh, you may relate to it well. I think it's going to be really good. We're going to take a look at five or six scriptures, some of the key scriptures, I think, in the Old and New Testament about worry. And so that's where we're going to be just as an FYI. Uh, so hopefully you're in your Bibles by now to uh, to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right into this text and learn how we can last through the adversity that comes our way because of our faith in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. I, I pray that you would help us and be with us, that you would strengthen us and give us help uh, and mercy as we go about living our, our Christian life Father, we're very grateful for this book uh, that, that uh, Peter so long ago has written to Christians who were uh, going through uh, very similar things that we go through, Father. They, fer- they faced uh, persecutions both socially and uh, physically. They faced pressure from the world. Uh, they uh, faced pressure on their morals and on, the- and on their moral stands. They uh, were not liked. They were um, indeed scapegoats uh, for the government of their day. And there was much uh, uh, pressure and forces coming upon them, causing them uh, to struggle with their faith, and so you have written to them through your Apostle Peter, and you've written to us today, because we, as believers, face the same kind of pressures uh, that they did, and you have spoken to them, and you've spoken to us. Thank you for what you've taught us about living Christian in an unchristian world, and I pray today as we talk about uh, what can be a difficult subject of facing adversity that comes our way simply because we teach us. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would uh, encourage us, and that you would help us to learn uh, these lessons this morning about how we can last when adversity comes our way, and it will come our way because of faith in Christ. You've promised that. Your apostles have promised that, and so we take you at your word. Teach us now how to be faithful Christians as foreigners in this land. We ask it by your grace. We ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, this morning I want to share uh, a story that probably many of you are pretty familiar with. It's actually a children's story or a children's book. It's called The Little Red Hen. I want to ask just by, by show of hands, how many of you maybe read this as a child or, or have read it then to your children? The, the story of the little red hen. Any, any of you familiar? Okay, excellent. Very good. Well, I don't have to go through the entirety of the book, but it's a, it's a simple children's story about uh, a little red hen and her friends. Uh, I think her friends are, according to this book, a duck, a dog, and a cat cat. Now, your book may be a little different, but this is the story that I, I read to my kids on occasion, and uh, I started to read it to them maybe a few weeks ago, and it's a pretty pointed story. You know, it's one of those stories that it's for kids, but it's actually not merely for entertainment. It, it, has, a, it has a purpose. It's ha- it, ha- it has a point, and it doesn't only speak to the, the nature of animal creatures, but really and truly it speaks to human nature. And, and so the way the story goes is that the little red hen does all the chores around the house and that all of her friends are just kind of lazy. They don't want to do any of the work. Well, the day comes that she wants to make bread, and so she does all of the work necessary uh, to make bread, and so she, uh, she cuts down the grain, and she does everything necessary to make bread. You can tell, I don't know how you make bread. You go buy it in the store, right? But she actually makes it, and, uh, and, and she's done all of this labor, right? And, and finally, uh, she, she asks the question, hey, who, who, wants to, who wants to help me eat this? Now, now, as she's going through this process, as she's doing all of the work necessary to enjoy the benefits of it, she asks Who wants to help me do the work? And of course, nobody wants to help her do the work. They're too lazy. But when it came time for eating the bread, for partaking in the benefits of the work done, they, of course, wanted to partake. They wanted the benefits without the work. And as the story goes, um, the last page says this Uh, She asks these questions Uh, Who cut the wheat? Who threshed it and took it from the mill? I did. Who brought the flour home and baked this loaf of bread? I did. I did it all by myself. Now I'm going to eat it all by myself. And the last page says, and that's exactly what she did. And there's a picture of her eating the bread, the fruits of her labor. Now this is a, a story, an interesting story, but it, it, it doesn't just talk about the, the, the nature of animals. It addresses the nature of humanity, and I, I think specifically this morning as we take a look at... This fourth chapter in First Peter, it, it speaks oftentimes to our attitude as Christians, not just as mere human beings, but oftentimes this attitude that, that creeps in to our Christianity. And it's the attitude of this. We like the benefits of being a Christian. We like the results the good things that come our way as the result of believing in and and following Jesus Christ. But we oftentimes don't like the work often associated with being a Christian. Uh, That is, we enjoy forgiveness of sins. We enjoy uh, peace. We enjoy a new relationship with God. We enjoy uh, the freedom from guilt. We enjoy the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of us to enable us and to empower us. We enjoy all of the positive things about Christianity. And we should. We should enjoy these things. They're good and holy gifts from God. And yet we don't oftentimes like the kind of passages that talk about the responsibility of Christianity, that talks about not only the benefits, but some of the the work that is necessary when you name the name of Christ. And one of those things that the Bible talks about is facing adversity and lasting through adversity as Christians. I want to read just one scripture before we get into the first Peter. Philippians 129. This is one of those this is one of those Bible verses. I don't know about you, but Philippians is maybe my favorite book in all of the Bible. It's wonderful. It's a book about joy. And who doesn't like to hear about how we can have joy in Christ? And yet right smack dab in this wonderful book about the, uh, the benefits of being a Christian, we read this statement. Paul says, for it's been granted to you, Christian, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Wow, you're reading Philippians and you're like, yeah, this is great, all these benefits. And then he says, hey, listen, just like it was a gift of God for you to believe in Christ, it's a gift of God, Christian, to suffer for the sake of Christ. And you're like, wait a minute, okay? You step back and you're like, oh, so that comes along with the benefits of Christianity. Suffering for the name of the Savior of whom we follow. We like to gloss over these passages, and yet the New Testament is is full of them. And so the story of the little red hen, I think, infects our Christianity. We like the benefits of Christianity, but we don't like the work associated with following Christ. And so this morning, we're going to see three simple things. If you're taking notes, three points, right, as most sermons do. Three simple points. Three things that I think Peter wants us to know about lasting through adversity. About lasting through the adversity that inevitably will, to some degree or another, come our way because we're Christians. Because we name the name of Christ. Three things that will help us last or endure through that kind of adversity. Let's take a look at the first one. And the first one is found in verse verses one through six of 1 Peter chapter four. It's on the screen. This is, this is the first point that we see. The first thing Peter wants us to know is this. We will last through adversity when we're willing to suffer physically and socially for our faith. That's essentially what Peter says in the first six verses. We will endure, we will last as Christians when we're willing, when we have the attitude of Christ to be willing to even suffer physically, bodily for our faith and socially for our faith. So let's break it down. In verses uh, 1 through 3, we see the first half. Peter talks in verses 1 through 3 about Christians being willing to suffer physically for their faith. Let's read it in verses 1 through 3. He says this Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in, in, in debauchery, lust, and drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry." In verses one through three, Peter says, listen, we need to be willing to suffer physically. And when we do, a, a, couple, thing, a couple results come, come about. He says, first of all, when we're willing to suffer physically for our faith, we have an increased commitment to the will of God. And then secondly, we have a decreased commitment to the will to sin. Notice, notice what he, he says in verse 1. He, he brings Christ as the example. That is the attitude that Christ had when he suffered in this life, that we should take that attitude on. Notice what he says in verse 1. Since, therefore, since Christ, our example, our Savior, since Christ suffered in the body, and just think about that. We're gonna share in communion here in a few minutes and we remember when we partake of the elements that Christ suffered bodily. That is, his body, his flesh was torn and ripped and that his blood flowed. It was a bodily suffering. Just as Christ suffered, he says, arm yourself also with the same attitude. That is, be be willing to be so committed to the will of God that you are willing even to suffer just as Christ even suffered suffered. Take this attitude upon yourself. And he says, when you do, something interesting happens as it relates to sin. Not only are you willing to go all in for God's will, but something happens as it relates to sin. Your propensity to sin is decreased. Your commitment to sin, your likelihood to live a sinful, rebellious life, like he describes in verses 2 and 3, goes down tremendously. Literally, the text says, he who suffers this way is, quote, is done with sin. And so when you read that, at least when I read that, I thought, what is he talking about? Does that mean if somehow as a Christian you suffer physical persecution that you're not going to sin anymore? That doesn't make any sense from what the Bible tells us. I, I think what he means is this the, the ESV uh, study Bible footnote I think is extremely helpful, and I think he gets it right on, right on the nose. It says this. When, when Christians are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in their lives. They show that their purpose in life is not to live for their own pleasures, as described in verse 3, but according to the will of God. And so just think about it for a second. In this country, we don't really face this kind of physical persecution or threat. But we have to realize, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's not abnormal. It's not something that is outside the realm of normal for the Christian life. And when we follow Christianity worldwide, what we see is that Oftentimes, believers suffer physically for their faith. And what he says is that when you get to the point when you face torture, when you face losing your home, when you face uh, losing your job, when you you face these things and you choose Christ as opposed to backing down from your faith commitment in Jesus Christ, what happens is then most likely that next day after you suffer physically, you're not gonna go out and live in this kind of sin. You're not gonna go out and cheat on your wife. You're not going to go out and get drunk. You're not going to go out and engage in orgies, right? He says the root of sin is severed because when you're so committed to God that you're willing to suffer bodily, then the temptation to go back, the temptation to live the way that you used to live, it just doesn't hold any weight because you've gone so far as to suffer for your commitment to God. And so in verses one through three, he says, listen, be willing to suffer physically, but I think verses four through six are more pertinent to us here in the United States, because he moves from suffering physically to suffering socially. And I would guess that most of us as Christians, if we've endured any kind of hardship or adversity for our faith, it's not in the physical realm, It's in the social realm. So let's see what he says in verses four through six. Essentially, he says, listen, we should be willing to suffer socially because it results in a couple things. It results in judgment for those who do that to us, but salvation for us. Let's let's read that in verses four through six again. He says this. They, that is speaking of the unbeliever, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Notice that social persecution, verbal per- persecution, they heap abuse on you, right? So he says, listen, we need to be willing to not only suffer physically, but when we choose to not engage in these kind of lifestyle uh, sins, then what's going to happen most likely is the unbelievers are going to be like, hey, why aren't you doing this anymore? Why aren't you going to these places with me anymore? Why aren't you saying these things anymore? Why don't you join me in X, Y, Z anymore? And and as a result, what they're going to do is they're going to abuse you verbally. They're going to turn on you because you don't do that. So he says, be willing to endure that social suffering. But what's the result? Well, for them, notice what he says about people who, who insult and who heap abuse on Christians verbally. Notice what he says, verse 5. But they, that is those unbelievers who are heaping abuse on you, but they will have to give an account. They will have to give an account to him, speaking of God, The Father who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The picture here is that God is ready and willing to judge them for what they do to you as a Christian. That's the result for them. But what about us? What's the result when we endure this kind of social suffering? Well, he says so in verse 6. It's a little muddied, but I think I can explain it. Verse 6 For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in, regarding, in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So you read that, and I read that, and I think, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, I think the idea uh, is, simply, is simply this. He says there were Christians who believed in the gospel who are now dead, and they suffered this kind of either, either physical suffering or, or, or social suffering, and, and the, the, they, were, they were Christians and they died. And he, so, he uses this kind of language in the, in the human court when, when unbelievers Judged them, so to speak. They cast their judgment upon them as being silly and ridiculous for following this person named Jesus. And so they were found guilty in the human court, so to speak, and they received suffering. But in God's court, they were found innocent. And after they died, their spirit lives with him in heaven. I think that's what he's talking about in verse 6. The main point is simply this. Peter says, Hey, do you want to last through the adversity that will come your way as a Christian? You need to do a couple things. You need to be willing to suffer bodily, physically, and socially. So let me ask you, in me, a tough question Are we willing to suffer physically for our faith? Are we willing to suffer socially for our faith? I think oftentimes it's the social, at least here in the now. And so I think as Christians, we may especially suffer socially. Let me just bring, flesh out a few ways that this can look like. I want to ask you, how has that looked like for you? I mean, how have you suffered socially for your faith? Maybe you lose one of your best friends because you become a Christian, and they're not a Christian, and your values part, and they heap abuse. Maybe it's your coworkers, they call you names, they slander you, they, they tell lies about you because you do things right and you don't cheat and you follow the rules and you don't steal from the company, and they don't like that, and so you are ostracized at work. Maybe you're verbally abused by your spouse. This happens oftentimes when one spouse, the husband or the wife, in the relationship is a Christian, and a committed Christian, and and the other is not, and oftentimes there's all sorts of language and abuse and criticism and tones that can come your way in a marriage relationship for the sake of Christ. Most certainly, I think, as we look at the the media today, uh, we are criticized, mocked, certainly by mainstream media, if not by other media as well, for the faith and the values that we hold as Christians. I don't know if you can watch any kind of uh, news show without feeling like you're a bit attacked as a Christian these days. And so all of these things, Peter says, listen, be willing to suffer socially. God will deal with them, and God will be gracious to you. So we need to be prepared for things sometimes Something that I think we struggle with is we think, well, we live in America. This won't happen. We live in America. We're not ever going to uh, suffer physically. We live in America, and, and the social suffering that we may receive is just so minimal. We don't, we don't need to think about it, but the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says we need to be prepared for that, and so I want to share with you a story of a man He's a pastor from the country of Romania, and his name is Richard Wombrant. In John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, a story is told about Mr. Wombrant, who spent 14 years in a communist prison in Romania for simply uh, being a Christian and for being a Christian pastor. And he speaks about the tremendous need to prepare ourselves spiritually to suffer. And this is what he wants to say. He says this, I'll quote him. What shall we do about these tortures? Will we be able to bear them? If I, do not bear, if I do not bear them, I put in prison another 50 or 60 men whom I know because that is what the communists wish for me to do, to betray those around me, speaking of his time there. And here comes the great need for the role of preparation for suffering, which we must start now. It is too difficult, hear this, it is too difficult to prepare yourself for it when the communists have put you in prison. I remember my last confirmation cl- class before I left Romania. He was a pastor. I took a group of 10 to 15 boys and girls on a Sunday morning, not to church, but to the zoo. He says, Before the caged lions, I told them, Your forefathers in the faith were thrown to beasts such as these for their faith. Know that you and I also will have to suffer. You will not be thrown before lions, but you will have but you will have to do, deal with men who would be much worse than lions. Decide here and now if you wish to pledge allegiance to Christ. They had tears in their eyes when the children said yes. He says, we have to make preparation now before we are imprisoned. In prison, you lose everything. You're undressed and given a prisoner's suit, no more nice furniture or carpets or curtains. You don't have a wife anymore or your children. You don't have your library and you never see a flower. Nothing of what makes life pleasant remains. And he ends by saying this, nobody resists who has not renounced the pleasures of life beforehand. Church, doesn't that strike us as just from left field? (laughs) But it's true. We have to be prepared, and that's what Peter calls us to do, is to prepare ourselves for the day if this happens and when it happens. So number one, how do we last through adversity? Hey, Be willing to to suffer. But the second thing he says I think is just as pertinent, especially for the American church. Let's read it in verse 12. And the second thing he says this, we will last through adversity, secondly, when we think it's normal. That's the second point. Not only will we last through adversity when we're willing to suffer, but we'll last through adversity when in our mind we think it's normal. Apparently the church in Asia that Peter writes to did not think it was normal. In church, neither do we. Verse 12, this is what he says. We're skipping a little section, but he he really hits it home on verse 12. He says this. Dear friends, do not be, what church? Surprised. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So the second thing he warns and he shares with these Christians is he says, listen, we shouldn't be surprised when physical adversity or social adversity comes our way. What he wants them to know is that it's part and parcel of the Christian life. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, he warns his disciples then it's going to come. When you look at the, the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament, they say, listen, this is part of the Christian life. It's normal. It's part and parcel. It's not Abnormal. It's not weird. It's not uh, a, a, just a, a small part of the Christian life. No, it's it's something that we should expect. And so to ask ourselves this question: Are we much like the churches in Asia that Peter writes to? I mean, can't you see if Peter was writing to Grace Bible Church or the American Church today, wouldn't he write these words and it be accurate? I mean, wouldn't couldn't he say to us, "Listen, American Church, don't be surprised if a fiery ordeal comes your way." Wouldn't that be true if he wrote to us at Christian Bible Church? Hey, hey, listen, Christians in Cisna Park, if a fire ordeal comes upon you, don't let it surprise you. It's going to test you. Don't think that, what in the world is happening to us? This is so strange. This is so weird. That's the words of Peter. He's writing to us. And so he says, if you're going to last, we need to think that adversity is a normal part of the Christian life. And church, I'll speak for myself, I don't. I don't think that that's normal. Do you think that that's normal? Do you think we do as a church, as a Christian American church? Do, is this part and parcel? Well, well, no. And so the question that as I thought about it is why? Why, why? why do we not think of it as normal? And the simple answer is it's not been a part of our experience. I'm no history major, uh, but I enjoy church history. And I'm certainly no academic, but I think when you look at the history of America, and in particular the history of the American church, the reason why we are surprised, the reason why we don't think adversity is normal, is because it it hasn't been. What has been normal for us in American Christianity tells us just the opposite of what Peter says. Wouldn't you think? Isn't that true? Our history tells us exactly the opposite of what Peter says. It's because we haven't quite gotten there yet. And so when we think about American Christianity, what is normal? What is normal to us? Historically speaking, it's normal for Christians to be accepted in the culture. It's normal for Christians to be liked in the culture. It's normal for Christians to be wanted in the culture. It's normal for Christians to be wanted in the public arena when we make decisions, when we elect people, It's normal for Christians and Christianity to be the normal philosophical view. It's normal in our country for Christianity to be the norm and for Christian values to be national values. And friends, I hate to say it, but it's not being, it's not that way anymore. At least it's certainly not heading in that direction. And so times are changing. And I've spoken to to numerous of you on on occasion, and you've all said to me similar things like, I feel like we're not wanted. I feel like the media is attacking us. I feel like our our kids are getting it at school because they have this view on, on certain social issues, and you're feeling the pinch of a culture that is changing. We're feeling the pinch of a culture that is becoming less and less Christian, and while we certainly don't want that for our nation, to some degree, what we're seeing is that we are now going to experience what is normal Christianity. (laughs) What is normal Christianity? That we are foreigners in this land. And so we see a couple things. He says, listen, we need to be willing. We have to have the mindset of Christ. We need to think it's normal. And then third, in verses 13 through uh, through 16, he says, we'll last through adversity when we consider it a blessing. Now, I think we take a step up from thinking adversity is normal to adversity for our faith in Christ as something good, as a blessing. Church, we don't think that way. I don't think that way, do you? And yet it's completely Christian and right for us to consider the adversity that comes our way because of faith in Christ a blessing Let's read three reasons why. Verses 13 through through 16, and the first is found in verse 13. Why do we consider it a blessing? Why do we consider it a blessing? As Jesus said, you are blessed when you're persecuted. Why is that? Well, there are numerous reasons, but Peter gives us three, and the number one reason is divine glory. It's it's found in verse 13. He says, it's divine glory. Notice what he says. He says, but rejoice. Okay, what? (laughs) What? As Christians, rejoice when this happens? Yeah, he says, but rejoice, okay? Consider it joy. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Why? What's the reason? So that, here it is, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What he's talking about is this. Upon the day of Christ's return to the earth, When Jesus comes back, whether we're here as Christians, or whether we're dead, and we come out from our graves with a resurrected body, or whether we're here as Christians and we're raptured, and we're translated, and we're given new bodies, regardless of where we are as Christians, there will be a day when Christ returns to this earth in his glory, and there will be a day when all of the dead in Christ, and those who are alive, will be resurrected, and given glorious bodies, and we will be with him forever and ever, and that will be a glorious day. But notice what he says. He says, if if, we we suffer in this life for Christ, there will be great joy because on that day, we will be resurrected and we'll stand before Christ and, we'll, and, and we will be rejoicing because we say, I didn't give in. <laughs> I didn't give up. I didn't follow. I didn't, I didn't renounce your name. Look at, look at how I, I participated in your sufferings. And he says, we will have great joy on that day because we share in his divine glory. Secondly, not only divine glory, but for here and now, there's A promise of divine assistance. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. There it is. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Reason number two for the Spirit, and I take that to be Holy Spirit, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, and I think what he's saying is that, listen, church, not only can we anticipate divine glory when we suffer, but it's a blessing because God will help us. That's what he's saying. The Spirit will enable us to endure those sufferings. The Spirit will help us to know what to say and how to respond, and when you read through the book of Acts, what's utterly clear is that as Christians suffer for their faith, both socially and physically, one, they had joy, like crazy joy, and I have to think, do I have that kind of joy in my life? I don't know if I do because I'm not suffering for Christ like they are. There's a corollary there. And he says, Listen, on that day, the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say, how to respond. He will strengthen you, and we will have divine assistance. And the third reason is found in verses 15 and 16. Not only is it divine glory and divine assistance, but we have the great privilege of identification with Christ. Notice what he says in verse 15 and 16. If you suffer, It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So he wants to make it clear. Listen, if you're a Christian, don't have people persecuting you because you've done something wrong, right? Don't don't do something wrong and then receive persecution. No, no. He says, do something right. However, 16, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed church, there was great shame in the early church. Oftentimes when somebody named somebody the name of a Christian, it was not in a positive context. It was like a cut down. It was like, a, it was like you're a Christian, and it was, it was derogatory in that day. Because to be a Christian in that day was to believe in a Jewish rabbi who was poor, who never really had much, who was uh, considered a, a criminal by the, the Roman court, and died the most horrific and shameful death ever. And you were identifying with him. And so when they called you a Christian, it was not a good thing, generally like it has been in our culture. It was a derogatory term. And so when Peter says, listen, when you bear the name of Christ, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed of it. But what? But praise God that you bear that name. That you have divine identification. And he says, listen, there's a measure of joy as a Christian when you suffer, whether it be physically or socially, and you endure it, you don't give up your faith, and you walk through it, there's a measure of joy that says, I'm a little Christ. That's what it means, Christian. I'm a little Christ. I'm a follower of Christ and God has seen fit that I go through some of the suffering that he has done and so there is a joy because you identify and you have the same experience as your Savior did. Now Christian, let me ask you and let me ask me a a question that's, that's really hard. Would that be the case with you? Would you have joy because you so identify and experience what your Savior did? I don't know. I just don't know. I would hope so. But we see it in the book of Acts when the apostles were mistreated and they were flogged and they were sent on their way. They, they weren't sent crying and scared and, oh, we better not preach Jesus anymore. The book of Acts says that they went away and they rejoiced and they sang songs of praise to God because they were so fit to, wor- uh, to suffer for Him. They were like, man, Jesus went through this and I get to as well. And as a Christian, even an American Christian who hasn't suffered much, there should be an inkling in our heart, just a little inkling, it may just be little, that says, yeah, that would be great. And then we may jump out of that and think, oh wait, I'm thinking crazy. No, you're thinking Christian, okay? You're thinking Christian. And I'm thinking Christian when I think that way. That is Christianity. And so, by way of application, we need to ask ourselves, would we consider it a blessing or to suffer? Would we rejoice if we lost our job because our employer didn't like us sharing our faith on the job? Would we consider that a blessing or a curse? Would we rejoice if our son or daughter broke relationship with us or, or distanced themselves from us because they were living a lifestyle that we just could not agree with and they wanted us so desperately to affirm it, but we just couldn't as a Christian would we consider that a blessing? Would we rejoice, and this is, this is how it came down in the book of Acts, this is how it comes down in some countries, and I, I pray to God it never will in our country, but would we rejoice if we are on the street, if we're in the coffee shop, and we're sharing the gospel, and we're saying the name of Jesus, and they report us, and we go to jail, because we do that. That's not abnormal in some places, and it may not be abnormal here, and we have to ask ourselves ourselves, What would we do? Would we consider that a blessing? And so we've seen three themes this morning. How do we last through adversity as Christians? Most of ours is social, but we still need to last through it. We need to be willing to endure it. We need to think it's normal and develop this mindset. And even still, the highest plane is that we need to consider it a blessing. And so I want to do this. I have a prayer, and I believe it's up on the screen. I'm gonna ask us to pray it. It's, it's a prayer written by a, a, a gentleman by the name of Scott Smith. And he's written this little prayer and I think it's very appropriate for the American church and for us to pray. And so I'm gonna ask for us just to pray this together. We're not gonna read it out loud, but you don't have to close your eyes in this prayer. You can if you want to, um, but you can pray along as you read the prayer. But I'm gonna allow this to be our closing prayer and then we're gonna take communion together and I'll give some instruction. As we do. So let's let's read this together and share in the prayer of Scotty Smith. He says this Dear Lord Jesus, these portions of your word offers a critical corrective and incredible encouragement. To know that suffering is, is a normal part of the Christian life brings many of us a great deal of relief today. For many of us have endured the destructive consequences of bad teaching about suffering and hardship. As a young believer, I was taught that if, if I just had enough faith, I wouldn't suffer illness or lack or loss or defeat or doubt, economic struggle, struggle or emotional duress, and the list goes on. But you tell us painful trials and suffering are not to be considered strange at all, that suffering is a gift, just like believing in you is a gift, Jesus, please help us understand how our suffering can be understood as, as participating in your suffering. Your death on the cross was a once for all suffering, perfectly securing the salvation of your people. However, you're, you're not a distant, disconnected, dispassionate savior. You're presently making all things new, and this involves showing up in the messes and the madness of life, where there is injustice, disease, disease, brokenness and suffering, that's where you will be found and where you call us to meet you. Grant us grace, Lord Jesus, to desire and to enter the fellowship of your suffering. A day of no more suffering is coming. Hallelujah, the day when your glory will be fully revealed and what a day of rejoicing that will be. Until then, give us all the sufficient, sustaining serving grace that we need now to suffer with you and for you. Free us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep as your tear-wiping hand comes to us. May it reach through us to the broken and hurting world. We pray in your wonderful name. And God's people said, amen. We're gonna close our service this way. I'm gonna ask that you take a few moments to prepare yourself to partake in the elements. Um, You can pray, you can repent, you can uh, reflect. But prepare yourself. As we uh, take of the bread, we're reminded that the body of Christ was torn. And as we partake of the juice, we're we're reminded that the blood of Christ was was shed. And I can't help but going back to what Peter says in verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, that's what we remember, that Christ suffered in his body for us. And if you're here this morning, and all of this is like, Wow, this Christianity stuff is crazy. Welcome to what is real Christianity. And I want to ask you if you've ever come to the place where your heart has been so transformed that when you hear what it means to be a Christian, you long for it and you love it. Because if not, then you may not be a Christian. You may not really know the Savior who suffered bodily for you. You may have never come to the place where you realize that you, because of your sin, have a broken relationship with God, and there's nothing you can do this earth to fix it, but God has fixed it for you in what he's done in his perfect son who lived the perfect life that you could never live, died the death that we deserve, bearing our sins, rose again from the dead so that we can have new life and forgiveness and be rightly related to this God. Maybe that's what you need to do today before you come and you take communion. If you're a Christian and you've done that, then I invite you to come as you're ready. And as we come, as we start to gather, we'll have uh, a song and a video to help focus our attention on Christ who suffered bodily for us. So let's prepare ourselves now.